So right out of the gate, you guys walk in and I tell you, I'm on a diet and have been for eight days. And the main thing about a diet is no pizza, no bread, no pasta. And you line up three heroes right where I have to stare at them. <laughs> You're really doing a good job of getting on my in my good graces. <laughs> well, Jackie told us to bring you lunch, so what did you expect? No, I said, we're going to lunch. I was going to make you buy a bowl of soup and give Bridget some business and introduce you to Bayville. Oh, going to lunch. You didn't hear that right. Oh, I didn't You're get, a reporter. Yeah, I didn't Actors read that. Yeah, somebody, oh, I can't wait to see his, his details. <laughs> All right, now tell me what we're doing and who you guys are. This is called the 495 Podcast. We tape, but we try to tape weekly. And uh, it's part of the Gr Greater Long Island Media Group, which, which uh, is chain of community news websites. Is all that in Suffolk Steve, County right now. Steve Oliver and WGBB and all nope. those out unaffiliated, there? unaffiliated, no. independent news Frank website. Mackey, Frank McKay? Yeah, no, that's unaffiliated, but those yeah. are friends of mine. That's oh, you just know station. those guys? Yeah, okay. yeah, we know those guys. So this isn't, uh, wow, who's the guy that owns every... Uh, John. Uh, John Caracciola. This, yeah. is, this is him? No. No. Oh. This is us. This is us. Greater this is New York Media. Greater Long Island, close enough. Greater Long Island, maybe Long Greater Island. New York one day. Yeah, one day. So 495, that's also the number of the expressway. Is that a coincidence? Yeah, yeah that was a coincidence, really. <laughs> we pulled that out of a, okay. the lottery machine. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this is the Greater New York Media, and we're live on Facebook, but you're also taping it yes. for a podcast. Exactly. Correct. Okay, now who are you? I'm uh, Mike White, uh, formerly of the Daily News and the New York Post. Uh, I started the company. And, um, you started the New York Post? I thought it was Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton, yes. Um, you know, I'm going to be doing all kinds of stupid... I watched good. the airplane last night. <laughs> You're in an airplane mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You're taking everything literal, which is so funny. So you started Love this uh, Greater American, Greater Long Island, <laughs> Greater yeah. Bayville Media. In 2015 in Patrick. What did you do at the Post? I was a street reporter at the Post. What did you get fired? They caught you telling the truth? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the news breaks, we fix it. Uh, <laughs> and the and, Daily uh, News. And then went over to the Daily News. I, was I love those papers. Bureau. They've always they've always been fun. Always yeah, been fun. Absolutely. I met Mike a couple years back. I worked for LA News Radio, which, you know, Jay Oliver and Frank McKay, they, as you mentioned before. And then I also worked for News 12. Uh, and then I did some freelance writing. And now we kind of teamed up. to. So you guys started this? Is this a nonprofit? No, it's for profit. Oh, so you're, yeah. you're trying to make a buck. Yeah, we're you're trying to make a buck. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the first time I got interviewed for Long Island, whatever, I don't even think, was it News 12? We lived down the street in Babel in a rented house. And I got to tell you, I was excited. I'd been a comedian for like 10 minutes. And they were coming to the house, just like you guys. And no cell phones or anything. And the guy was ready to interview me and I had him in my studio and this is where I just had put out my first record. No, I, I actually had a couple of records out by then and I had started Governor's Comedy Shop and it was exciting to, to be on News 12 or, or whatever it was. And I was excited and my girlfriend at the time who became my wife and now she's not my wife anymore, we were, we were psyched. And the guy shows up and he's about to start the interview and he got a, a beep. You know, that's what happened in those days. You got a beep. So yeah. he said, can I use your phone? He calls in. And he had to not interview me and go back to wherever. Breaking news. A, a truckload of mayonnaise. Oh, gosh. 
fell over on the highway. An entire Long Island Expressway was completely covered in oh, mayonnaise. Man. And I'm like, of all the things to get bumped for, it's like jizzle. <laughs> oh, I never got, a guy came up, the guy came up to me five or 10 years ago and said, hey, you might not remember me. I was supposed to interview you. And all you guys, are you the jizz guy? Oh, oh so, you remember that. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't forget that. So, so this is the greater Long Island media. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we run websites out of Patchogue, Port Jeff, Babylon, and Bayshore. And then hopefully one day uh, Bayville. Oh, yeah, we were just talking about that. That would be like a greater Syosset, we were thinking. The Woodbury, Syosset, Plainview, There's all Bayville. kinds of stuff here. I just, uh, did you ever hear of the mansion in Glen Cove? Yeah. Uh, they just opened a great, great steak restaurant there. Awesome. A friend of mine, and uh, she just wrote to me today and said, can you help me, help me promote this? And I said, are you ready to spend any money? Hello, are you ready? I never heard back. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but uh, that that's the kind of place you could broadcast from there or something like The North Shore needs you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Thank did you. you go to Epi at my father's place? No. That's what you do. I'll hook you guys all up. I'll all hook right. you. Because you can help me. Because when I do a show on Long Island. You can say Jackie's you know, playing here. I, you yeah. know, I usually sell out, but it, it's always great to have, you know, the more exposure, the better. Absolutely, you know, if yeah. I call Newsday one more time, you know, if you're in Newsday once every you know, once a year or once every two years, that means I've been in there 80 times, you know, so that's kind of sick of me. So how do you, how are you in different towns if it's a podcast? Well, it's not, it, it start, it's, a, it's a news website, actually. And we have this podcast to supplement. Oh, so when you go to the Patchogue page, it's Patchogue yep. News. And Correct. Exactly. Yep. And it's just yep. you two guys, you've got areas. some hot broads working for you. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, that's the dream, right? Yeah. Um, are you married? Right now, no, I have a girlfriend. Are you married? No. He's engaged, but I'm guy. engaged. So yeah. you're not homos either. Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> so that's good. So it, it, it sounds like it's it's very enterprising, and I applaud you. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much. Yeah, good I mean, you. we just hit this year. We just did 2.1 million views across all four of our sites. So that was a nice milestone. So our, our best year ever to date. So that was cool. Yeah, we're hoping. So how long to, you been at this? 2015, July 2015, we oh, launched. So good, 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 good. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> All right, so let's flip the script on you a little bit. Tell us a little my, bit about My girlfriend said, who's coming out? My girlfriend, Barbara Klein, works for Omnipop Enterprise. It doesn't work for her. She's an owner of Omnipop Enterprise, and mm -hmm. she's just just wonderful. I said, I think this. I think they're kids from Hofstra. Cause they, you know, I, people say they want to do an interview. I say, okay, and then I say, I don't know, and then I just say yes. I say, you know what? When they get here, I'll figure it out. Yeah, and here he, we are. He gets too crazy. Uh, I'm doing, tomorrow I'm talking to Belfast. Okay which is very exciting. Uh, it's a, a little town in Suffolk. I'm only kidding. I'm talking to Ireland, I'm talking to Ireland tomorrow, which is exciting. So what, what do you mean you're talking to them? I'm doing a podcast. The guy's calling from Ireland. Wow. So he, you got a big audience out there? Uh, three. Okay, three. that's big no, enough. He, that's bigger says, than our audience. He says that people love my jokes over there, and I, I don't know if he's kidding. You know, I just did a show in Boca Saturday, and my cousin brought a whole bunch of people. He, my cousin is from here. And um, one of his friends is a pilot, and his girlfriend flew from London wow. just to see the show. And she was blown away. And she said, you go, come to London. I said, well, I've been wanting to go to London for 40 years, but get me a booking. So she's, oh, good chair booking. Oh, very and she's nice. cute, so I don't care if there's three people. You know? <laughs> Are you going to be doing some shows in Ireland, too, this means? I, I would love to. I, yeah. You know, I have no idea. 
I have no idea how it would translate. Have you ever heard an Irish comedian? You can't understand. Yeah, no. <laughs> but by the time you understand it, it's it's very funny. But it'd be interesting. So it sounds like you haven't done that many acts overseas. No, I've done nothing overseas. Wow. You know. Now the uh, the jokes you pop at four twenty every day on Twitter are those are those new jokes? Are those old jokes? No, those oh those. Are, and all my jokes are old jokes. Mm. Once in a blue moon, I write something. You like Bob Dylan? Filthy and disgusting. Unable to write anymore? How's that one? No, I, I just never. I was always a guy that just tells jokes. The okay. jokes that you heard your whole life, mm -hmm. just nobody remembers them. And I remember them all. Yeah. But I'm a funny guy. You know, everything I wrote for Howard for 15 years was. That's off the cuff. Right, right, right the off show. the top of my head. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been uh, texting back and forth with Richard Lewis for the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. We're just peeing our pants, you know. We started out as a serious discussion, like how the hell can we help Artie Lang and nobody knows what the hell to do. Yeah. And then you only can get so far into that before you start fooling around, you know. I would love to see screenshots of that whole thread with you. Oh, it's a <laughs> How does a joke come to you? Are you just like in the shower, just and it just like pops in your mind? Are you writing stuff down all the time? Well, like working with Howard, it was like the way that worked. Yeah, it was always is imagine you're this. Howard. And you're Robin, okay? And you're funny. Or you're, you're, it's an interesting conversation. And I'm a funny guy, okay? So I'm sitting here, and you're talking to Robin. And then you say a few things, and in the course of what you're talking about, I think of something very funny to say. Instead of saying it, I write it down and put it in front of you, and you work it in. Pop it. So not only do you have your sense of humor, you have my sense of humor. And I enabled... By being there, I enabled Fred Norris to be able to write things and pass them to me. So Howard not only had his sense of humor, he had mine and Fred's. So he not only had three senses of humor, they were from three completely different places. Right. Fred was from Pluto, wow. and I'm a punchline guy, and Howard's just broad. And it, it, you didn't know where the jokes could be stupid, funny, smart, and it just blew people away for years and so years. So was anyone years. doing that in radio at the time? No, I, as far as I know, nobody had ever done that. What in the old, jokes in, 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 in real the old time. days, like Bob Hope and them, you know, they'd be talking and they go to commercial and the writers yeah, really quick try try to okay. come up with lines to outdo each other and everything. But as far as doing it on the fly, I don't think so. You know, and I and yeah. I when I started getting interviewed, I used to say it was flying gag writing, which is what it was. Yeah. And everybody broke oh flying gag writer, blah, blah, blah. but it, that's exactly what it was. And for years and years. Nobody had any idea I was doing it. And mm -hmm. to this day, there are people that had no idea. Because I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm laughing, and I'm getting my balls broke. <laughs> so that was almost <laughs> enough to justify me being there. Yeah. And they have no idea. Half of the horrible shitty, half of the horrible crap can, he said to me. You can curse. You can curse. Half of the horrible crap he said to me, I wrote. Yeah, and yeah. that's hard for people to wrap their brains sure. around. No, you know, when no. the Jackie puppet used to attack me and attack me, I was writing stuff for Billy to say. <laughs> Billy said it was like working in the Twilight Zone. It was so much fun. You know. Now, is that common in the industry now? The uh, you joke know what? writers on the fly? I, I'm sure it is. And you know what? To tell you the truth, I didn't walk around to all the radio stuff. For all I know, they've been doing this forever. But as far as sure. I could tell, mm. nobody ever said, wait a minute, Harry did that first. You know, Because most, most disc jockeys are such egomaniacs that they... Don't think they would ever need help. Mm. You know, there's nothing funnier when comedy started, or not started, but started. when we first got <laughs> when, they when it first comedy. got going in in the early '80s, and it's and the comedy clubs start popping up. We we did a, a comedy here on Long Island at a at a bar in Huntington, and that developed into the East Side Comedy Club. And then I started Governors and the Brokerage, and comedy clubs popping up around the country. And they would send 
three comics, you know, from New York City or wherever, and we'd go to whatever town, and there'd just be three comics. There wasn't a headline or in the middle act and an opening. You know, it was just three comics. And then they got to it. You know what? We don't need three comics. We can have an MC and a middle act and a headliner and pay them differently. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, somebody came up with the bright idea. Hey, get a local disc jockey to come host Wednesday night. This is great. You get to live. Yeah, the doomsday whistle. <laughs> yeah, I got Does the firehouse. Does this mean the bridge is closed? Firehouse at the end of the block. I hope you, got a, bo- I hope you got a boat to escape. The bridge is on the water. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a swimmer. All right. Never, it's a I long never swim. A so, so don't screw up my story. So, so they decide Wednesday night they'll have the local disc jockey come. That way the disc jockey will promote the shows. Everybody wins. And disc jockeys, their whole lives, everybody they come in contact with is somebody they can help. You're a car salesman. I mean, you've got a car dealership or you have a pizzeria and you say, Jackie, you're the funniest guy in the world. Oh, you know, I saw Joe from Charlie's Pizza. You know, it, it was a, you know, syncophatic thing. Mm-hmm. And so all they knew their whole lives is how funny they are, how unbelievably they're the best personality in the world. And they couldn't wait to get to the comedy club <clears throat> to host the night that they're going to be there. And I watched so many disc jockeys get up there. They couldn't wait to get up there and mm-hmm. say fuck and talk to the people. <laughs> and it was amazing how fast they found out how hard it is. Like within minutes, they had such respect for the comics because right. it's so hard. And they're so used to everybody just fall. Hello, how you doing? Oh, Charlie, you're so funny. You know? <laughs> and they would just die because they were all such crazy egomania. Yeah. And, mania. and when I first started... Like, given an idea to Howard, he kind of looked at me like I had two heads. Like, he used to do a black helicopter traffic reporter, reporter called Mama Look a Boo Boo Day. And he did it with a megaphone. Hello, how you doing? Mama Look a blah, 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 blah. And after I was there a week or two, the next time I came in, I said, hey, I got some ideas for Mama Looka. And he kind of looked at me like I was from Pluto, like, <clears throat> like, like I need your help. Yeah. And then I listened, like during the week, and all of a sudden, I heard some of the. All of a sudden, the jokes were popped in there. <laughs> and then, like the next week, I came in and said, "Hey, here's some stuff for Mama looking." He's like, "Thank you." <laughs> that was very subtle. That was. And, just... then, and it just made him funnier. And yeah. and over the course of the, th- I worked there for free for three years. Right, that was from eighty-three a, to eighty-six at NBC, and you I were would like once a week guest. Yeah, slowly hand him a note here and there, a note here, and he became more and more to where. And then all of a sudden, when we moved to K Rock, they actually had a place for me to sit and a place for me to write, and I was still once a week. And it's really funny because I made millions of dollars with that show, and my entire job description. He called me on the road. I was in Virginia Beach Comedy Club. He called me on the road and said, we're going to mornings. I want you to be a part of the team and come in and do your thing with the notes. That was my job description for all the millions of dollars. Do your thing (laughs) with the the notes. And I came in and did my thing with the notes, and we went to Pluto. So how did you meet up with Howard Stern and those guys? I I was working in Washington and Washington, D.C. at Garvin's Comedy Club. And the owner said, hey, uh, there's a crazy man that just got fired here. He's a disc jockey, and he's going to NBC in New York. You really should look him up. And I blindly mailed my three comedy LPs. And he got them, and a couple months later, he called up and said, hey, we got your albums. 
you know every joke in the world. Do you want to come in today? Hang out on the air? I'm like, yeah. Wow. I went into K I went into WNBC, 30 Rock. Holy, you know, Were you I'm nervous? used to governors. No, not nervous. Yeah. But I didn't know what to expect. It's all in my book. It's it, the, yeah. that first day is it was amazing. I walk in, there's big pictures of Carson and Letterman and Imus and and you know, I wasn't intimidated because I had no idea where I was going. I didn't know anything about radio yeah. or how it. Did started. you ever want to be on the radio? Like, did you ever think about? Well, that? I was I was on BAB a lot of times, but it, that's how my nine two five one six nine two two one is my dirty joke line, which is officially forty years old this wow. month. You know, and it's still going. Happy birthday! It, Happy birthday! It freaks people out. <laughs> and <clears throat> Bob Buckman. There was a guy who worked on Saturdays who said, Jackie, why don't you let me call 922 Wine? Make it not so dirty. I said, all right. So Brian Battles would call me on Saturday, and people would go wild. And then Bob Buckman was the morning man, and he, he was the program director, and he's like, wait, you know, I'll, I'll help myself, which is what they do. And so every day, I would make a special 922 Wine recording that wasn't as dirty as the normal one, and it it was my it was a line at my house and he would say, All right, we're gonna call Jackie Martin, five one six nine two two wine and he'd call and the jokes would be almost dirty and then I'd insult him and insult Perry Apollo and, and when I started getting too outrageous he'd set a bomb off and then go into the number one record, number one rock and roll record that week. And his ratings went through the roof. They were all pre already pretty high and that really put me on the map. So but that wasn't by design, I didn't go in and sit on the radio. Right. You know, I went on the radio when I went on the road. You know, mm -hmm. you sit in with a disc jockey or something like that. But that was only a means to an end to get people in the show. But uh, it was funny because the first day Stuttering John walked in, you know, Gary came in and said, hell, the guy who wants to work on the show, he has a stutter. And Howard said, hire him. <laughs> John walked in and he looked at me and he said, you're, you're the g g g guy, guy from... B-A-B. <laughs> is he the Long Island guy too? Mass speaker, sure. Yeah. What is it about Long Island and comedians? Uh, some of the it's funniest the salt people in water, history. It's the salt water that makes everybody horny and crazy. <laughs> it's not just the proximity Is that why you live city? on the water? Yeah. You gotta stay horny and crazy. <laughs> no, um, but the water, is the, the water is the greatest. I spent seven years in Michigan and I never felt like I was from Michigan. They say, where are you from? In New York. You haven't been in seven. No, I live in New York, you know. So it's not just the proximity to Manhattan. I mean, some of the greatest no, comics of all time have come from. Long it's Island. it's you know it's it's smart and fast, and everybody's a wise guy. You know, you know, you go out on the street and start talking to somebody. They're funnier than any thirty people you can. Oh, the guy at the well. deli was killing yeah. us this morning. Man. Oh, who, Joe, Big Joe, or Richie? Is uh, the guy I didn't slick, slick, slick back slick hair. Back oh yeah, yeah, that's Richie. He's did making tell, fun of everybody. You, you were coming here. I didn't. I didn't want to no. name oh, drop. Oh, he would have went nuts. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> busting balls. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was yeah, great. That's exactly what I'm, and I'm telling you. Sink or swim, I guess. I was never a comedian. I'm a joke teller. And the reason I'm a joke teller is I like to make people laugh. And that's all I care about is making people laugh. If I go into Delhi and break Richie's balls or his father Joe's balls and get a good laugh out of them, I'm good. I feel as good as I did after I just killed a thousand people in Boca. You know, it's just it's just a disease. But at some point you say, who cares? That's just that's if it feels good, do it. You yeah. know, you know, you know how you feel when you mess uh, Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so let's backtrack a little bit. So you were invited onto the Howard Stern show. That connection you made with Howard was it like instantaneous? Did you have to build a relationship with him? What was that like? It was pretty scary. Um, it was pretty scary how fast it was. Um, I went in, and 
I, I always say the same stuff over and over. Hey, if you think these stories are any good at all, get my get my book. Because if you like if you like the story of the Stern Show, or if you like me, or if you like comedy, my autobiography is really really fun. I guarantee you, it's called the Joke Man Bow to Stern. You can't just put Bow to Stern in the in the Google because you'll get a a right. seventh grade sailing manual. Sure, sure. <laughs> you didn't think about that. <laughs> so. But if you go to Jackie, Mo no, if you go to JackieTheJokeMan.com, that's a special URL, JackieTheJokeMan.com, the Amazon page pops up and you can order it. They're probably down to $3 a piece or whatever. And, I, and my two joke books, uh, I sell the two of them for, what, I'm selling them for like two for 40 autographed and everything. But the well, one was from, the first one was published when, late 70s or uh, 80s? No, no I, I had joke books in the very early 80s, but... Yeah. The first one was from 1998, Simon okay. & Schuster, and that had a whole forward by Howard, which is really fun. And the new joke book has the forward by Penn Jillette. That's the one with the ass on it. Yeah. Do you and, do any... Uh, it's called The Ultimate Joke Book, and people said, what what makes it The Ultimate Joke Book? I said, well, it's all the jokes that weren't in the first one. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> do you do book signings? Huh? Yeah, I do anything. She's like, go to your house, I'll right? do your dishes. So, <laughs> so I, they called me to go in there. And it's funny because they said they listen to my records and they love my records. And then over the course of the years, Howard's like, oh, we never listened to your records. We didn't care. We didn't, blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he downplayed everything good I ever did. <laughs> but uh, I went in there and I love telling people when I walked in, it was Howard and Robin and Fred. And the last day I worked on the show in March of 2001, it was Howard and Robin and Fred. And Nobody stays together for 18 years like that. I mean, that's a war for a marriage, for a band, for a radio. It was crazy. And I, what pissed me off is I'm the one that broke it up, but that's his fault for not sharing. And they all met randomly in uh -huh. D.C., right? Yeah, there's nothing. It was, it was not random at all. Howard kind of went around uh, choosing I'm, people like Dorothy. I'm basing this on private parts. On Dorothy. No. H Howard met Fred in... in uh, Choosing people like Dorothy. <laughs> in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Howard met Fred in, in college in Connecticut. And then Fred used to call in and help him with the show when Howard was in Detroit. And they asked him to come to DC 101 in, in Washington. And he said he'd come if they'd hire the guy from Connecticut. And they said yes. So they, he brought in Fred. And then Denise Oliver, who was some newswoman, uh, said, hey, I have this woman who would be really be great on your show. And Robin was from Baltimore and brought her over. And then the three of them came north to NBC and called me. And then after a year or so, Gary came in as a you know, coffee boy, producer, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. And in 1986, John came in. And, you know, it, it was a, it got assembled, you know, and it, and it, it just... It was it was it's such it was such a perfect combination. As random as it sounds, it, it wouldn't have gotten that big if it wasn't such a perfect combination. Sure. You know, if you ask Howard, it's him. You know, he could do the show in an elevator. But if you ask any human being, you know, it was <laughs> it was a, it was a amalgam of of four or five wacky people and every, when everybody's picking on each other and the backbiting, that was the show. That yeah. was what people really loved, you know. So, so I went in there the first day and I just, you know, I got a good laugh and I didn't even say a lot. I just sat there and laughed at everything. We were doing a, uh, he called me up and said, do you want to come in and judge a talent contest we're holding over the phone? And I said, sounds good. So I went in there and, you know, people are pulling off the side of the road and standing in the rain 
on the phone booth singing Frank Sinatra songs. It was just stellar. So I'm breaking balls. And him, at the end of the day, they said, you know what? You're a lot of fun. You want to come back next week? I said, sure, because <laughs> I'm a 30 rock. You know, I wasn't in Levittown at Governor's. I was in, you know, WNBC, 50,000 watts. And I'm sure. And then after a week, I... I came in every week. They, you know, unpaid, right? <laughs> unpaid, three years to work for free. Now, did you uh, have a hand in uh, the VHS tapes, like Butt Bongo and all that stuff? Did Did you help script that? Or was I, that was... I was, yeah, I was the head writer, but um, was hardly. We weren't really in it. You know, he he never used. Fred's a great actor. You know, he just <clears throat> we were not part of it except to write it. What about the show on Channel Nine? Yeah, I was the head writer of that too. Right, right. So it wasn't. I was telling Nick because Nick's a little younger than I am. I remember the shows on Channel Nine and do you know they're the all, on, they're all and... on YouTube? Oh, Every right. single. If you say, "Oh, remember there was one with Bob Hope," you do Howard Stern, Channel Nine, Bob Hope, the whole damn shows. Wow. There. And they're just random people taping them. And they're. I guess people. I don't know who uploaded them, but they're all there somehow wow. or other. Wow. All these jokes that you tell. Is there like one joke that you love above all? Or is, 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 no, 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 no. You know. I always tell people my favorite joke is the last one I told that yeah. got a big laugh. I'll tell you, I always wanted to tell jokes with Paul McCartney because I know that he's a huge joke freak. Mm-hmm. And uh, Noel Redding used to come on the show and he was the bass player in the Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jimi Hendrix experience. And he'd come in and say, oh, we had such a good time last night. Jack, I was with uh, Paul and Linda and we... We had dinner and then we told jokes for hours. And I'm like, no, why just... don't you let me come play? I know, I know, I could bury McCartney. And I used to tell Howard, oh, McCartney would love me. He said, you're an idiot. He'd hate you. Blah blah blah. <laughs> and then, like last year or two years ago, whenever the Big Short came out, I was at a screening, and before there was a cocktail party, and it was a pretty highfalutin cocktail party. And Tina Fey was there and Lorne Michaels because they produced the movie, great movie. And McCartney walks in with his wife. And my girlfriend, Barbara's like, there he is. You could tell him a joke. I said, listen, the reason people can go out in New York City, like Woody Allen, people like that, is because nobody bothers them. Nobody comes up, oh, oh, you Woody, oh, Woody, you know. <clears throat> it's at that New York's hip, so you can walk around. <clears throat> I said, I'm not going to bother the guy. And then McCartney walks around, and he walked right in front of my nose. I mean, right in front of my nose. And I stopped him, okay? And I told him a joke. So if you're asking what you, I don't know what's my favorite joke, but I'll tell you a joke that came into my head. When <laughs> yeah, that's there. a good answer. Right. I, I, I stopped him. And he looked at me. I said, can I tell you a joke? And he said, sure. And I said, a guy goes for a job interview. And the job interviewer says, what do you think's your biggest fault? And the guy says, I think my biggest fault is my honesty. The interview says, I, I don't think honesty is a fault. The guy says, I don't give a fuck what you think. McCartney <laughs> 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 roared. He roared. But he didn't say, oh, I got one for you, mate. He walked away. Yeah. Is your heart racing during that? Are you no, nervous? I was like, no, not. It was, yeah. just, it was just fun. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, if I ever meet McCartney, I know what joke. You know, it was not one of those things at all. I had no intention. Even when I saw him, it wasn't like, hey, if I get a, you know. It wasn't yeah, going to yeah, happen. Yeah. But I mean, he walked in front of my nose and his wife had walked a couple steps ahead of him. You only so live once. You know, oh, God. It was great. You know a joke I want you to tell, uh, if that's okay? Um, one about the uh, military veteran who has his balls blown off and he applies for a state job. <laughs> Could, please... were, you, were you in the military? No, but my uncle told me this joke and I, my girlfriend loves it. I want you to tell it. <clears throat> a guy goes for a job and he's a veteran. And... Uh, they say, uh, you served in Vietnam? He says, yes, sir. Uh, I had 
my testicles blown off. I sat on a landmine. The guy said, whoa. He says, well, you know, we, we like to hire veterans here, and we work nine to five, uh, five days a week. So you're hired. You can come in at 10 o'clock. And he says, well, if you work nine to five, why would I come in at 10 o'clock? He says, well, for the first hour, we just sit around and scratch our balls. No sense you come. <laughs> that's a great joke. That is. Tell your uncle that's a great Give me, your, yeah, give my, me his address. I'll give you a joke book. My uncle's a county, Nassau County worker. So is my grandfather. So uh, they make it a county job joke. They say, well, this is a county job. So you know, how, les time. you know how lesbians are like county workers? <laughs> No, they don't do dick. <laughs> <laughs> tell oh man, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. tell him that for sure. That's oh, awesome. thanks for doing that. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's awesome. Oh, that's a great joke. You sit around <laughs> scratching nuts. Yeah, I knew you would know it. Can't stump you, right? Oh, I thought you were asking because you heard me tell that. No, no, no. Oh, you had no idea. No, I just that? my uncle told it to me. I knew you would know it. I know you know every joke that's ever been told. Where do these jokes come from? Nobody knows. No one knows, yeah. right? The abyss. They're not you, like you know. The thing is, I tell people. Like, everything has been said before. And if you think, you know, since Adam and Eve, forever, there's been farts and poop and cum and sweat and vomit. If you think, after thousands and thousands of years, that you're coming up with something that nobody ever thought of before, that's kind of egotistical. Now... In any kind of form, you know, and there's every chance, like even Star Wars, somebody makes a joke about Star Wars, somebody on the other side of the planet can make the same joke because you, you put two and two together. That's how a joke is made. It's, it's formulaic, you know, A and B, put them together and you got water, you know. <clears throat> so, you know, and but there is, you know, you can look at somebody tell a joke and then go steal it, you know, and that's, but that's heinous. To me, if I'm on stage and I tell my version of a joke and it kills, and somebody verbatim takes it and tells it exactly like me. To me, that's as much stealing as anything. Yeah, so, of course. You know. But uh, you see that we've, we've sat around, and, and every comic, we used to sit around for hours. And, and in, in my whole life, I've never met a comic, and a comic never met a comic, and a comic never had a friend who had a friend. Not one person knows anybody in their entire lives that ever claimed... I wrote the joke about Dirty Johnny and such and right, such, right, you know, right. because they just evolved and evolved. The jokes that were about, you know, Madonna or the jokes about Cleopatra, and they were the jokes about. You know, it's funny. This is a great joke. There's a great joke that I have always loved, and I bombed with it so bad, so bad at the Don King roast, which was hosted by Donald Trump, believe it or not, and. Um, because it was too long for people to digest. You know, you're at a roast, these businessmen are out there and they're drunk and they don't care. You got, you, it's got three words, they're lost. <clears throat> but I bombed with the joke, but I love the joke. And I went to see a play. You know who George M. Cohen is? George M. Cohen was, with, you know, the Cohen brothers. Cohen brothers? No, no, but George M. Cohen was a vaudeville guy, famous, you know, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Of course. Jimmy, okay. what's his face? Who's the actor? The actor with the pie in the face. James, Jesus, I'm so old. But um, George M. Cohen was a monster show business guy. Mm. And this guy I know wrote 
at George M. Cohen Tonight, which is a one-man show about the guy had a famous storied career. He started the Friars Club. His brothers right. and sisters, they were all in an act, and then they dropped out, and he did his own show. And famous, famous, famous. So this is a one-man show about him. So I go to see the guys play, and it's interesting. But there was only, it was funny, but there was only one joke in it. But it was that joke, my joke. And I'm like, not my joke, but the one that I really love. And I'm like, holy Christ, look at that. It's in, it's in the George M. Cohen play. And I turned to the guy, Chip, and I said, Chip, I can't believe George M. Cohen used, told that joke. I love that joke. He says, well, I got to tell you the truth. That's the one thing in the play that's not true. I really wanted to use the joke because that joke was told to me when I was a little kid by Carol Channing. Because Carol Channing, you know who that is? Yeah, I know Car that. Name. Carol Channing, hello, Dolly. She was a friend of the family. And she told him that joke when, she, when he was a little kid. And she told him that her grandmother told her the joke, like in 1910 or something. So that, this is the kind of longevity of the joke. And it's, it's a classic. And the reason I used it in the Don King roast is because... Um, I used the fighter version of it, and it's it's just so great. The it's 1958, and it's Madison Square Garden. It's a world championship bout, and the announcer comes out and says, "Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madison Square Garden. In this corner, in the black trunks, weighing in at 220 pounds from Sweden, the challenger Ingemar Johansson." And in this corner, we have the champion of the world in the white trunks, weighing in at 215, Mr. Floyd Patterson. Before we begin the bout, we have to sing the national anthem, the lovely Kate Smith. And the guy sitting ringside goes, Kate Smith? That fat whore, she sucked every cock on the East Coast. And he announcer goes, nevertheless. <laughs> so that's the funniest joke in the world, but I bombed. I bombed at the roast. But when I, when I leaned over off mic and said, Kate Smith, that fat whore, I was bent over. I was looking. Right into the eyes of Dion Warwick. <laughs> now you probably don't even know who that is. What the hell? So fun. So in the middle oh, of this play, George M. Cohen goes, and now Mary McDonald's going to dance for you. And somebody goes, Mary McDonald's a whore. <laughs> Nevertheless. <laughs> which is oh, uh, just a funny, funny joke. Funny, awesome. funny joke. So, so I was just giving an idea of the, who right, knows how, these, how long, yeah. you know, the trail and the trail and the trail, you know. <laughs> it's just reversals and silliness, you know. So, yeah. so let's go back to the timeline a little bit. So three years unpaid doing jokes for the Howard Stern show. So what, you know, what happened after that? Nick's still unpaid, so he's trying to figure out how yeah, to get yeah, paid. I'm sorry, how do you get paid in this industry? <laughs> what happened was I, I finagled my way. I, was, I tried to render myself necessary. I, there was no plan. It wasn't like, next. hey, let me, let me pass some notes and maybe, you know, I'm like an all for one guy. Like I don't not I'm not to sound, you know, too. I'm not trying to self-aggrandize, but we're sitting there, and if I can make the show funnier, I want to make the show funnier. And if I sit there and start saying funny things, I'm not going to be that welcome. You know, it, it's it, it's a, it's a trick. So I'd hand them things slowly but surely, and I mean, 
it's nice. You know, I had his back. You know, he always had, after a certain amount of time, he could go a long time without even looking at a note. But if you just know that the haymaker is sitting there, that's nice, you know, and we're, yeah. boom. Sometimes you'd look at something, circle around, come back to it. Sometimes he'd read it and make it about Fred instead of about, instead of about me or make it about me and say, you know, <clears throat> he, he, Howard, it couldn't work with somebody that's not as brilliant as Right, that's what I was going to Because he, as he's going along, he's digesting what I wrote mm -hmm. and making it it's seamless. That's why nobody could tell I was doing it. And uh, But sometimes he would just read it. He'd just look down and he'd just really trust just come out with it. Just boom, boom, boom. And it was, did, did he ever blow any of your jokes? Or uh -huh. no? Yeah, did he force... <clears throat> I'm sure every once in a while he forced some stuff. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, occasionally he, <laughs> he'd misread something. It'd be so hysterical. And sometimes I'd be breaking balls, and I'd just draw like a cartoon of Gary's face with these big lips and put it down. And he'd, like, <laughs> crack up. And Robin says, what are you, they idiots drawing pictures, you know? It was so Yeah, funny. that had to be such a skill to take these jokes and somehow weave them in seamlessly oh, into hey, a conversation. Hey, it was so good. He cannot was imagine. So good. You know, yeah, he, I always wondered how that worked, because you watch, you know, you watch... Uh, Conan O'Brien, these are monologues, these are scripted jokes, one after the next, but um, uh, I always had trouble understanding how you were his I have, joke writer. I have every note I ever wrote for him that he said is in my mother's attic. Is that right? Every uh -huh. note. Holy shit. Moms keep everything. <laughs> and I have all the handwritten scripts to all the bits I got, because everything was going in the wow. garbage, and I said, no, yeah, take yeah. this with me. I got some great stuff. I got some great, great stuff. Our mother's known to throw up, throw out stuff in the yeah, attic. My, I feel my, like that's the most dangerous place for it. No, my, my parent has my baseball the, cards. My first Power Rangers doll I've ever had. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You called it a doll? <laughs> Actually, no, isn't that funny, sacrilege? You know, <laughs> there are literally boxes and boxes and boxes. If you said, uh, you know what, something really funny that Howard said to James Brown in on August twenty third, nineteen ninety four. I literally could find that box. <laughs> I mean, they're shit. not that organ, but but they're organized, organized by enough. yeah. So I could find that month and find that day. And you know, if you just listen to, you know, August first, nineteen ninety eight, and just turn put on the show, you could sit there and follow along the notes. And sure enough, when the big laughs came, you know. Wow, so you knew I'm sure they'd be very valuable. So I yeah. never tried to sell them, or you know, it has yeah. to be some worth somewhere there, yeah. or even yeah, a museum somewhere, comedian. And there's so Howard and there's so many. You know, I start looking through. There's like you know, there's like autographs from this guy and that guy, and you know, I, what was like there was like a a page, a, a one page uh, sketch from, by what's his name, you know. Uh, Leroy Neiman, and you know, I got all kinds of crazy crap, wow. and I found the pages of the private parts that featured me that never made it into the movie. Mm -hmm. Stump the Joke Man was actually in the first draft of private parts, and of right, course right, that right. went away very fast. The so, well, private parts came out in '98. Huh? the same. When did private parts come out? '98. '97. '97, '98. I'm not sure. I'm there not was sure. about a year there where that's all Howard talked about was this show. Yeah. A lot of people started tuning out. Like I can't hear yeah, about every this movie time. Every, every time we had like a new thing, like Butt Bongo Fiesta or pay per view, everybody's like, "Oh Christ, he's never going to shut up about it." <laughs> the movie is all he talked about for a year and a half. It was a great movie. I liked the movie. What did you think yeah. of the movie? I loved it. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it was. I'll tell you, I, I was barely in it. Um, I wasn't going to be in it.
because they they wrote a script that did not have me in it. And they threw that out, and Howard said, look, uh, we're going to start over because I didn't like the script they had. It didn't use all my guys. Meanwhile, he's the one that created it. <clears throat> but they... He didn't want anybody sitting there they were watching the screen, seeing somebody feeding them notes, because that—that's—that was our key to going to Pluto. That was the key. It was like Mickey Mantle had two extra people helping him hit. Right, you know, right. not that he's not brilliant and funny, but that extra push. If you're a world-class sprinter, and you got a tiny bit of wind in your back, all of a sudden you're the, the world record of all time, <laughs> right? Analogy. So they figured out how to do it without showing me make notes. And it looked, the way the movie was, it looked like they were already had gone to the moon and I stepped in. Yeah. And I joined them after they'd already hit the big time. Exactly. If, if he had held up my records and said, Robin, we got a new guy on the show today. Look, he sent me his records. I would have gone, to, yeah. that would have put me over to the moon. Was that hurtful, Jackie? Huh? Was that hurtful? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it was all par for everything, you know? Like what? What could you do? You know, I was mm. I was thr so thrilled to be in the movie. Yeah. So thrilled, you know, because they started over, and uh, it's so funny, because the first day we met with Ivan Reitman and his producer Danny Goldman, uh, Goldberg, and the writer Len Bloom, Len Bloom, and we all sat around and they said, all right, uh, for these guys, uh, I, you guys all got to introduce yourselves and say a little about yourself and where you're from. Maybe tell a story. So uh, they get to me. My name's Jackie Martling, and I've been uh, on the show for 15 years and passing Howard Notes, and it's, it's a great gig. And then I told a story about I was uh, coming from Chuckles, and I had gotten so drunk, like I always did. And it was a Thursday night, and I got really loaded. And I spent the night in a motel even though I live in Bayville, because rather than go all the way back to Bayville at one in the morning after I'm drunk and then come have to leave, you know, why not come right from Mineola? And I'm so hungover, and I'm an expressway, and I'm late, and I get a flat tire. Now, at the time, this wouldn't happen now because this, the Cross Island Parkway, the on and off ramps are different now. This is like 1988 or something like that. And I get a flat tire just as I'm getting to where the Cross Island crosses over the expressway. And it's frightening. It's like quarter to six. And with every passing second, there's more traffic and it's, it's insane. And um, I hobble along and I'm like, what am I? And I figure I, I got to keep going. And I went and somehow got over the on-ramp from the Cross Island and onto the grass on the right-hand side, just, just west of the Cross Island. And I call up and I, and I said, Nancy, that. They, you know, Volvo's not answering. What the hell am I going to do? I got a flat tire and I don't have a jack. Somehow I changed my tire and wound up without a jack. And I'm like, holy Christ. So I call the show. And Gary, hello? <laughs> and he said, Gary, listen, uh, I got a flat tire. I'm, I'm screwed here. He said, hold on. How is this going on there? I'll put you on. And it's like 6 o'clock. And Howard says, hey, hey, you know. Yeah, a joke man screwing up. He's screwing up. He's late again. Hello. And I said, Howard, you know, I got a flat tire. You know, I, I was coming on the expressway. I got a flat tire and I, I'm pulled off here on the side of the road, just the other side of the cross line. By the end of the sentence, there were like five cars pulled off the road. 
They said, get out of the car. They took out the spare. Somebody had it jacked. They changed the spare wow. like it was a pit stop. And then they went out and stood there and stopped traffic so I could pull back onto the expressway. So I went from being so freaked out and so depressed. And five minutes later, I'm on the expressway on my way to work. It was like unbelievable. Awesome. And Len Bloom comes over to me and goes, that's the greatest, that story is going to play so great in the movie, holy Christ. I said, Len, you don't understand this show. That, <laughs> that will never make it near the, never make it near the movie. He says, what are you talking about? It shows the power of Howard. It show, it, it's all about Howard. I said, I know that, but it's too much Jackie. Trust me, you know, <laughs> trust me. And never, ever saw the light of day. And I, I said, by the way, I got tapes of my first times on the show. I gave him the tapes the first times on the show, and he saw, listened to the Stump the Joke Man. He said, this is fantastic, and he put it in the script, and boom. Mm -hmm. you know, somebody just, hey, I got the script. You want to see it? And the guy surreptitiously, I got a copy of the script. So, But, you know, but that's all. I, the bottom line is I was thrilled to be in a movie. You know? yeah. So, you know, what do you do? It's a great movie. You should watch it, Nick, though. Whenever you it's never on, saw it in the U.S.? Nah. <laughs> this guy's it's in good. radio, too. That's yeah. good. Um, Jackie, what do you, what's a day in the life, uh, Jackie Martling look like today? Uh, you know, a couple of jerks with a radio show will come over. Sure. You know. yeah. <laughs> no, you know, uh, like yesterday, like on, on Mondays, I talked to David Feldman, who has an incredible podcast and I tell him 10 or 15 minutes of the world's most disgusting jokes. And then he, it gets post it on Monday night and then Tuesday I spend the day editing it and then send it around to all my friends and all people just go nuts. I saw the and Feldman I, logs uh, over here. Yeah. yeah, and I got like 45 phone calls to this guy with no repeated jokes and they're frighteningly dirty or frighteningly funny and he goes nuts and he does, it's a liberal smart high-level podcast you know really smart people listen smart people are on the show and they all love it and but they love the very end it's like yeah you know david says all right everybody you have to eat your vegetables if you want and then you can stick around and hear the jokes so that you know i do that and mm -hmm. I, I worked in boca on saturday i had a sold out show at the meisner theater in boca awesome and uh i got a you know like a a couple private parties in the next couple months in the next couple of weeks rather than I got uh, when you work the Gold Coast here anywhere anywhere yeah. you know and February 9th I'm working at the Central Stage in Yonkers and uh, 22nd 23rd at Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club down in Point Pleasant and, and oh and I'm also on the radio every Friday I go in and sit in with Sid and Bernie Bernie and Sid who have Don Imus's old spot okay. on WABC mm -hmm. Uh, AM 770 so I go in there I sit there and fool around for a few minutes awesome. and then tell like five disgusting jokes <laughs> as dirty as you can get for terrestrial and then people use them all weekend and it's one of the most popular things on this show so that's it you know that I piddle them they're working on a documentary on me so I go in and they piddle with that and yeah. so you're a busy man who's they I'm not in a, uh, IKA Productions which is my old radio partner cool. Ian Carr and um, let us know when that comes out yeah. oh you know we're going to add You'll mouth, yeah. mouth to God's ears. This podcast will be in the documentary. Documentaries, yeah. They, they take a while. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, always different stuff. You know, yeah. like I, I piddle and piddle and, and it's, it's just fun. Just, things just come along. You know, they just come along. And you never know. You know, I, I, I'm talking to this guy about, you know, this big company's thinking about making a comedy section. But, you know, you, 
you don't put your eggs in any basket, but they talk mm. to you. I've been around forever. You know, I've been getting, uh, I did the Comedy Cellar podcast a few times, so I think I'm going to go out and do their club in Las Vegas, which is fun. Wow. And, um, Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, yeah. you know, I do some private parties, and it's 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 fun. You know, I mean, I've been a drink had a drink in almost eighteen years, and I don't even smoke pot anymore for the last four months. I don't even know why I stopped. I think I'm so old, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I go to the movies, and I, I forget to masturbate <laughs> at the movies. Now, our sales guy Nick wanted to ask you about the, the beer platform out in the sound or something before it, we wrap this up. The um, it's so funny. I was just talking to somebody because it's a black joke. Because on the on the Stern show, Robin referred to it as the jetty. But anybody who knows anything about the water, the jetty is a pile of rocks going out into the sea to block the water. Yeah. And it, what it was it was a wooden float. She called it the jetty, which is hysterical. Every time it's like you know, <laughs> it's like a black people can't swim reference. And uh, uh, when there was uh, the horrible storm of 1992. Perfect storm. We lost um, a couple hundred thousand dollars and stuff. But a piece of a, a dock slip came up that was like four by 20. And I said, all right, that's what I get out of this. So I put a ladder on it and an anchor, and people swam out to it for a couple of years. And then one year, it just disappeared. You know, it was gone. You know, that, that's a great story. It was a little dock slip. It was like four or five feet wide by 20 feet long. Like if you go down to the marina, okay, and then you look at the boats, the boats are there, and between the boats is mm -hmm. a dock slip that you walk out on to get on the boat. And mm -hmm. one of those got loose, either in Montauk or Connecticut, and it rolled up. So I got this ladder on the thing. And I used to go down and look at it because I get a kick out of it. I go down and smoke a joint, look out at my stupid thing, and the winter came, and the sound froze which is unheard of, I, maybe 91, whatever year it was, but the sound froze, which is so rare. Then when it thawed, it thawed like, like, an, like an iceberg. Like, so it went back out to sea in huge sheets. So the huge sheet that broke off that had my, my dock, had my float in it, <laughs> just went where it was going to go. You know, there's a 200-pound anchor on it and a ladder. It didn't matter. It just so I go down there and I look, and my dock's not, and my float's not there. I'm like, damn. So I go into work the next day. This is a true story. And I said, Howard, I need the microphone. And he goes, Why? I said, Just let me talk. And I said, Listen, uh, my float disappeared. I don't know what happened to it, but anybody in Bayville, anybody, if, if a float washes up. With a ladder on it, please call call the show. That's my float, and they're making fun of me. Break! What an idiot! You're a jerk! <laughs> what a moron! Five minutes later, Gary comes to the Helen, the Nassau County police boat's on the phone. They were out on the sound in the police boat. There's nothing on the water in the winter, and they got their the binoculars and they wow. see the stupid ladder sticking up, and they went out and they towed it to the Oyster Bay dock. And they saved it for me until the spring. <laughs> I went over to get it. I gave them cassettes of my act and gave them dirty T-shirts. And then they, they became my... It was the greatest thing in the oh, world. Man, and then awesome. nobody could believe it. Then then the thing did disappear for good in one of the storms. I guess in storm in 92. Uh, not, not 92, but another storm. So my wife, at the time, commissioned a float to be made. 
like 10 by 15. And the guy who, nice, you can Google this, the guy who made the float was Bruce Springsteen's first manager. His name's mm -hmm. Carl Tinker West. And he made the float, and he also made, if you look out there, there's a big metal bin that cooks 200 lobsters at the same time. Nice. And so I had that float for years and years, and people loved it. And I'd had the big parties here, and we'd all swim out to it, and it was so much fun, and they used to break my balls about my, Jackie's stupid piece of wood. That's what your <laughs> friend's talking about. Jackie's stupid piece of wood. He'd, however, make fun of my parties. I'd, I'd serve lobster to 150 people and then tell everybody how cheap I was. You know, that was the that was my hell. Oh, man, but that cool. was but that was fun. And then and then that float Floated Sandy well. Sandy demolished it. Oh, just wow. demolished it. Sandy and then, for a while. You know, so so that was that. But that was uh it was people still write to me and say, "Hey, we need some jetty stories." We need some because we, yeah. we'd be out there. I'm you sure. know, a guy out a there in a tuxedo there, serving you? shots and you know <laughs> smoking joints. I just great. You got pictures great. of days from from oh, those of days. Course, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Very cool. So this is uh, obviously a Long Island podcast. Uh, so th let's talk a little bit about your connection to Long Island. So where did you grow? Uh, did you grow up in Bayville, or where, where, where are you from? Well, it's, old, it's right? kind of staggering. Um, I I was I, I lived in East Norwich my entire life, uh, which is just south of Oyster Bay, which is just south of Bayville. East Norwich is the crossroads of 106 and 25A. <clears throat> and my great-great-grandfather uh, owned the farm that's now Muttontown Preserve in East wow. Norwich, and he came here in 1850. Wow. I thought everyone came from Brooklyn and Queens. Nah, and, well, Johan, I'm not making this up, Johan Martling came to Staten Island in 1675, okay? <clears throat> and my grandmother, uh, Dorothy Hall... Her father ran Sagamore Hill, and the rumor is that he's the, he was the illegitimate half-brother of Theodore Roosevelt. That's the first chapter of my book, wow. and it's, we haven't proved it yet, but with DNA, it'd sure. be so easily proved because uh, he's running Sagamore Hill, and he had eight kids, and my grandmother was the oldest, and the youngest was a guy named Leonard W. Hall, who was the National Republican uh, chairman and he was Eisenhower, Eisenhower's campaign manager in 52 and 56. So they've been here, you know, so we are so rooted in Oyster Bay. Wow. You know, my house in East Norwich when I was growing up, there's a blacksmith barn on the corner of my home, on the property. And it wasn't from generations past. My grandfather, my father's father was a blacksmith. You know, and his father was a blacksmith, and his father, and you think, why wouldn't there be so many blacksmiths? It was like gas stations. Yeah. You know, before there were cars, that's how you got around. You yeah. rode a horse, and they needed shoes. Yeah. It was like crazy. So, uh, so we, I, we've been here forever and ever and ever and ever. And now, why we're not rich? I have no. Everybody else on the North Shore is rich. Okay, you know, yeah, you came in 1675. Put your arm around something and claim it, <laughs> moron. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then you. Uh... You didn't go to school for jokes. You were an engineer, right? <clears throat> I graduated from Michigan State University in 1971 as a mechanical engineer, and I used my diploma to roll pot. <laughs> and that's <laughs> the a true best story. joint you'll ever smoke. It was uh, the most expensive joint you ever smoked. <laughs> and I, I played music for the entire 70s with a ponytail. We got drunk. We got stoned. We got laid. Made no money. Everybody loved us, but we were horrible. <laughs> and then. Uh, when the band broke up, I said, what am I going to do? I know all, I know every joke in the world. Why don't I try telling them on stage? It's funny. <clears throat> in the mid-70s, 
we had this band. It was me and another guy, and we played guitar. The Off Hour Rockers. And people loved us. And we played songs, original songs. I don't know if you ever heard you, Howard used to play the pot song. Roll up the reefer. That was from that band, okay? Mm -hmm. So we played songs and told jokes. Now, if you tell jokes on stage or people know you tell jokes, they want to tell you a joke. In the 70s, in the mid-70s, what is that, 40 years ago, people come up to me on the break and say, hey, I got a joke for you, just like you just, you know. Yeah. And I'd say, all right, I'm going to count down from 10, and when I get to zero, if I don't know the joke, I'll buy you a beer. I never bought anybody a beer. That was 40 or 50 years ago. I already knew this. I got so where a guy said, so an Indian and a priest are going down a river in a canoe. In five seconds, I go, you know what? This is the one about the two sailors on, on the desert. You know what I mean? I saw the parallels, and it was... Where did you acquire all the, this information? Years you, you, what, and years and years and years of being the last guy standing at every party, at every bar. <laughs> I just have always enjoyed making people laugh, yeah. and I just... I don't know why, but that's wow. you know, that's the hole in my soul, yeah. or that's the beauty in my soul, whatever. My mother was funny. My father was funny. Everybody in my family's way funnier than me, so I think I just tried harder. And I love it, you know. I, I, I want somebody to laugh like I just punched them in the stomach. You know, people say, oh, you're dirty. I'm, I'm dirty because that's what's funny. A dirty joke gets a bigger laugh than a clean joke. I fight with my girlfriend about that all the time. But, you know, that's sex, sex and, and poop and, and farts. That, that sets up more tension, you know. And tension is where the laughs come from. You want to wrap this up with a dirty joke? <clears throat> Do you want to plug anything before I'll tell you, you I'll tell you. The greatest joke that anybody ever told me yeah, I'm going to be at uh, Central Stage in Yonkers on uh, February 9th and Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, the 22nd, 23rd of February. But I work every year. I just worked at the brokerage. Mm. Uh, it was sold out. It was great. And I work at McGuire's. Uh, no, I just work at McGuire's. I, worked at the, I work at the brokerage every June or July. It's the greatest show of the year for me. So come out. I don't, I don't have the date yet. But the brokerage, I started the brokerage 30 years ago, and it's a, a great place. And then I worked McGuire's in, in, uh, at Christmas time and other assorted shows. You know, I haven't worked my father's place yet. You, you guys don't know the history of that place. No, no, no that's, a, that's a place from the 70s that's opened up again, which is great. But uh, Yonkers isn't too far, but come out to a show because it's really fun. So I know every joke in the world, but, but you don't. They slip through the cracks. I mean, you, you could tell me why the chicken crossed the road, and I'll go, oh, I used to know that one. You know? <laughs> because it, this, it's endless. And for the most part, I know them or can figure them out, but there's ones that slip through the cracks. And I was at the Iridium in Manhattan, and I just got done working with uh, Mark, what's his name? What's his name? I forget it. The, the Mark Hudson, him and his brothers had a show in the 70s. Great crazy funny people and uh i just killed the people and the place is so jammed and i get off and a guy comes up and says jackie i love you man like 40 years i've been following you he says i i have a joke I, i'm sure you heard it but i gotta try it on you i said listen i always say the same thing tell me because you never know you never know that's how i get them you know after you know every joke in the world you got that's when you really got to listen to every joke because and sometimes people tell you something that's not even a little bit funny but you see the germ that I can make that funny, right? Mm. <clears throat> this guy tells me this joke, and I fell down. And he said, you don't have to fake it. I said, he told me a joke in the middle of, I'm walking off stage. I said, no, that, I never heard that. That's so, that's classic. And 
maybe I'd heard it somewhere along the line, but it didn't strike me. The beauty of it is it's so filthy that I don't use it on stage because it shakes people up. It, you, I can't slow them up. I can't say Jesus Christ jokes. And, you know, I don't care about religion or, or offensive, offensive stuff, but you don't want to say anything that's going to slow up the show. And if people stop and start thinking, that throws it off. So I don't use this, but what's, what's going on? Someone's phone's going off? Is that your phone? You jerk. Is it my phone? I think it's the phone here. Is it my phone? No. That's your ring? No, I don't think so. I have you some. Sounds like a spa. I'm in the middle of the story. <laughs> Could that be my phone? That slows things I think it's up. this. Is it mine? It's a very pleasant sounding <laughs> ring. You guys are real professionals. Why don't you tell Alexa, the these guys are assholes. <laughs> So this guy tells me this joke, but the beauty of this joke is it's too dirty for me to use on stage, but I can tell it on terrestrial radio. I can tell it on, on radio clean, and you can tell it to a five-year-old kid, but it's too disgusting to use on stage. How does okay. that work out? Are we going to get it, or are we going to yeah, get it on the yeah. way home? A girl calls the doctor, and she says, Doc, I have diarrhea. Can I take a bath? And he says, if you have enough. <laughs> Which is so disgusting. You tell people like, oh, oh, and they miss the next joke, you know? That was oh, awesome. That's great. All right, so listen, if you like jokes, every day I tweet jokes at 420 International Marijuana Time at Jackie Martling, J-A-C-K-I-E-M-A-R-T-L-I-N-G. Always fun jokes. Tune in. I'm on with uh, Bernie and Sid, 9.30 every Friday on 77 WABC, uh, uh, Tri-State Area Radio in Manhattan. <clears throat> um, also, and this, is, this has helped me so much, there's people, I got fans now that don't even hardly know about mm -hmm. the Stern Show. If you say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling, which he's turning on right now. It tells, it'll tell, Alexa, stop. Alexa will tell dirty jokes for hours. Awesome. <laughs> they might, she might sprinkle in Chris Rock, Sam Kinison, <clears throat> Rodney. Right, it's a mix. But, it, but it's, it's mainly me. And people say, I, I listen to it, you know. That's fantastic. Also, if you go on Pandora, type in Jackie Martling. If you go on Spotify, type in Jackie Martling. You go on Apple Music, endless jokes. And, and I've got six CDs in there, which are 80 minutes each. That's, that's five, however many hours. I've got five hours or wow. seven hours. To get for a long road trip. Impress yeah. your friends at the next uh, people, cocktail party, right? People, people say, yeah, I just say, uh, Alexa, play Jackie Marlin. I listen to a couple of jokes. I go to the bar. And, right. You know, it's, awesome. it's, which, is, awesome. <laughs> which is the entire reason I do it. I, yeah, I, yeah. Know that I didn't write these. I didn't set out to get rich, and it's working out. <laughs> I, uh, I love sharing them, you know, and, and it's... And that's how it works. And now with this thing, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. The whole world is here in the... And there's so, there's so many of them, so dirty. You know, somebody can say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling, and it, it'll be a nice joke. Oh, I can't wait to show my parents. <laughs> hey, Alexa, you know, 
Play Jackie Mullen. So two whores are eating each other's pussy. You know? Oh, daddy. <laughs> so who knows? Oh, Jackie, thank you for sharing yeah. your time with and, us. Really. And thank you for allowing us to come to your, your home here on the water. Thank you for torturing me with the food. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it here. We'll let it stare at you all day. Maybe I can go trade it for soup. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. This is the 495 Podcast with your host, Michael White, Nick Esposito. Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Thank you. Thank you, boys. Thank you, boys. What's that noise? Oh, is that your theme song? <laughs> no, that's your Alexa. Alexa, stop! <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out. Alexa, you're a whore. That's not nice. I'm smoking pot. I got my dick out. And I'm thinking about you. And I'm thinking about you. I'm smoking pot. I got my dick out, and I'm thinking about you, just you. I'm smoking pot, I got my dick out. <laughs>